Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with another Afropop close-up, available when you subscribe to the Afropop Worldwide podcast and in the podcast section at afropop.org. Today, we sample the music and conversation of Haiti on the airwaves in Flatbush, Brooklyn. This episode, Haitian Radio on American Airwaves, hosted by producer Ian Koss. If you're in Flatbush, Brooklyn, standing on the corner of Nostrand Ave and Beverly Road, and you're looking south, you should see a bold blue awning that says Radio Panu. It blends right in with the beauty salons and takeout spots, but it's there, broadcasting around the clock. Now turn around, down past a row of stoops, you might just make out a sign advertising another station called Radio Soleil. Head in the opposite direction and you'll pass by Radio Triomphe. Finally, power on your pocket transistor radio and you might just pick up Radio Independence. But as far as the federal government is concerned, not one of these stations has its own officially licensed frequency. And if you're wondering how exactly that works, good. I was wondering the same thing. There is something called the, uh, the transistor revolution. That's Rico Dupuy. He's the director of Radio Soleil. And for him, the significance of Haitian radio is really about politics. Remember, the Duvalier reign lasted 30 years. You had Duvalier the father, Papa Doc, and Duvalier the son, the Baby Doc. You feel his menace in the pit of your stomach. You hear his presence in the silence of his subjects. Papa Doc, Dr. Francois Duvalier, spiritual leader and president. To give you an example of how brutal this dictatorship was when Duvalier's father died, and it was on the radio. But even though it was an official announcement, people could not say it for fear of appearing that you're enjoying it. So therefore, people would go to people's ears and whisper, do you, do you know that Duvalier died? That tells you exactly what was happening at that time. So it was the, the silence of the tomb. But eventually, Haitians began to agitate. And radio was one of the means to do that. So people had radio hidden in the kitchen, in the bed, the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? So people would go under the bed and listen to some radio programs to listen to words of, of hope about one day ending this nightmare. Even though Haiti was very poor, people were saving their money to buy the little radio. In Dupuis' view, that experience is at the root of Haitians' love of radio. But there is more to the story. This is an island of mountainous terrain and poor infrastructure. So television and newspapers aren't really accessible to much of the public. At the same time, turntables and CD players, they're expensive. But almost every Haitian today has access to radio.
The political instability and poverty that have made radio so important in Haiti have also pushed Haitians to immigrate to the United States. The first large influx began in the mid-1960s. And among those early arrivals was a young man named Lionel Legros. Fast forward, I started the radio show September 1969. It was the first Haitian radio program anywhere in the country. One hour, once a week on WKCR, the student station at Columbia University. And we were actually openly attacking the government, which was unheard of because doing politics in New York at that time was about meeting in the basement and applauding with some ex-general or some ex-president who would get big meetings. And we just came out openly and attacking the government. You know, it's like a call. It's something that I had to do and I did it. The show became a kind of weekly ritual for many in the city's growing Haitian community, something they set their alarm clocks for. It was the one hour of the week when they could hear their native language and familiar songs played live on the air. But that was it. There was no full-time Haitian radio station anywhere in the country. There was demand, but no license. One of the key fundamental principles of media regulation with regard to broadcasting is that in order to do it, you have to get a license from the government. This is John Anderson. He's an assistant professor of broadcast journalism at Brooklyn College, and he's working on a book about radio regulation. And in order to get the license from the government and keep it, you have to demonstrate that you're serving what they call the public interest, convenience, or necessity. That phrase, the public interest, convenience, and necessity, it dates back to the 1920s when the federal government first began regulating radio communication. The problem is... It was never well-defined, and from its founding, the new Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, was being lobbied by the major radio networks to carve out frequencies, what we now call clear channels, for their high-powered stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That sound is heard more often by more people than any other sound in America. Pulsing out from the transmitter tower into the tubes and coils behind your radio dial. To this day, the high-powered transmissions of networked stations still dominate the middle of the radio dial, with college and public radio stations crowded in the lower frequencies. In this environment, it is virtually impossible for a station serving a small ethnic community to secure its own FM license. But as John Anderson explains... The licensing requirement is not inviolable meaning there's been a whole history of people that have taken to the air without one. And for Haitian broadcasters today, there are two ways this is done. One of them is perfectly legal. It's called a subcarrier station. Jeffrey Joseph, the operations manager at Radio Panu, explained how it works. So you have a station, let's say like 101.9, Light FM. They broadcast throughout the tri-state area. So what happens is um, they sell a radio, they put a special chip in it where... Wherever Light FM 101.9 goes, 
they are able to listen to our station too, but they need to buy the radio from us. In the station's front office, there are boxes of radios for sale, each one modified to pick up their signal. Now, these subcarrier frequencies are not regulated, but Panu does have to pay a fee to their host station, and the sound quality is still not as good as regular FM radio. Just down the street, Radio Soleil has taken the same approach. While a standard radio tuned to 97.9 will pick up Latin hits, a modified receiver will get Haitian politics and compa music. Of course, the other option for Haitian broadcasters is to simply set up their own low-power transmitters what is sometimes called pirate radio. This approach, as you can probably guess from the name, is not legal. But in big cities like New York, Miami, and Boston, pirate stations are a fixture on the radio dial. Radio Independence is just a few blocks from Panu and Soleil, but it isn't advertised on the street. First, you enter through a brightly lit storefront, then pass through a back door to a room lined with computers, then through another back door that opens into a cramped studio. The walls are painted red with a few patches of plaster. A ceiling fan turns slowly, casting shadows from a single fluorescent bulb. Three men sit around a high table, one of whom manages a small mixer linked to a rack of audio equipment. One of the hosts, Jacques Dorville, explained later how the station operates, using a frequency that's licensed to a nearby college. A 90.9 belongs to them, and this is for a college and afternoon, the college closed, so we can use it from uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So by night, we entertain our community. I think they tolerate that. <laughs> well, not everyone tolerates it. Independence has been criticized in the news and on social media for interfering with WFMU, an independent station in Jersey City that broadcasts just two clicks away at 91.1. But despite these complaints, regulators haven't attempted to shut down Independence for some time. We still need to hide the transmitter. But uh, not as it used to be before. Uh, putting on the boat or in the van, traveling all over the city, you know, to do not get catch. So it's not that kind of fight anymore. But still, nobody knows where is the transmitter. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know. But even as he accepts the station's illegal status, Dorville is not the self-righteous pirate that you might expect. Right now, he just doesn't see any other options. And then the fact that we know that we are not legal, you don't feel okay with that. Illegal. Nobody likes to be illegal, you know. Nobody works for money over here. We don't work for money. We just want to keep our community connected. So how much they're going to ask us to pay for that? 
Stations like Independence are controversial, and the debate doesn't break neatly along ethnic or party lines. Pirate stations can undercut the advertising rates of the subcarriers like Panu and Soleil, and when they do cause interference, it's with other low-power community stations, not the major networks. When I asked Jeffrey Joseph at Panu what he thought the FCC should do, he didn't hesitate. What they mainly need to do is do a crackdown on pirate radios. Do you feel like those pirate stations are filling a legitimate need in the community? Do you see any way that they could be brought into the legal system? Obviously, uh, people listen to them, so I guess they are filling a legitimate needs. But I think what they really need to do is organize and legalize themselves, because then they'll feel the pain. Because like when I ask for somebody for a thousand dollars and you do it for two hundred, because it's not because that we're trying to rob anybody, it's because we have a lot of bills to pay. One of the reasons why they are pirate radios is because they are trying to avoid that type of responsibility. Meanwhile, John Anderson, the radio scholar from earlier, he'd also like to see these stations become legal. Not by cracking down on pirates and forcing them to play by the rules, but by changing the rules. It's not like the airwaves can't handle these stations being on the air. The capacity for the FM dial to support these stations is pretty robust. It's the laws and the policies and the paradigms that we've set up about what it means to have access to the airwaves and what an FM channel means. And we're in the 21st century. Radio's coming up on its 100th anniversary broadcasting. Why don't we think differently about this? What is clear is that the demand for Haitian radio on American airwaves is not going away. And stations will find a way on the air with or without a license. I met a man named David Kanje, who said four transmitters confiscated already. Short of putting him in jail, there isn't anything the FCC can do to make him stop broadcasting. Radio is just too important. If there is something that I like in my life, it's called radio. This is our blood, man. You go to Haiti, so many radio stations. Caraib FM, Kiskeya FM, Scoop FM, so many. We love radio FM. We love it. This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. But to keep the series going, we need your support. So, if you want to hear more shows like this, visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Ian Koss. ¶¶